Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. Hey there, Marketeers. This week is a recast of an episode that I love that I did with Katherine Bennett about rainbow washing, and it seems appropriate to recast it right before June, which is uh, Pride Month. I would like to note here that since recording this episode, Katherine has changed her pronouns to they, them. All right, buckle up and enjoy. All right, Marketeers, thank you so much for joining me. Today I have on Katherine Bennett. She is a world record holding strong woman, personal growth expert, and a 40 under 40 award winner, celebrated speaker and advocate for developing mental toughness. With a background in change management and Lean Six Sigma process improvement, Katherine's professional career spans industries including tech, healthcare, and engineering and construction. Catherine used the mental fortitude and tenacity she learned in the gym to more than quintuple her income in a five-year span, working from an entry-level process improvement role into a director position. Catherine is a CPSM and is nationally ranked as a strong woman competitor. She is passionate about helping her clients develop the mental tenacity and internal strength they need to succeed, no matter the adversity they're facing. Welcome, Catherine. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. So before we get started in our little segment on beyond the rainbow, what corporate allyship really looks like, I am curious how you got started in this industry for those of our listeners who didn't catch our first episode together. Yes, yes, yes. So I was um, initially a chemist in the first iteration of my career and then moved into proposal writing after some health consequences had brought me into uh, having to move back home with my folks and I needed a marketing job. And I was able to find a really great opportunity there in 2009 at my first proposal job. And the rest is history. Amazing. All right. So the reason I brought you on to talk today is you posted something on LinkedIn that really got me thinking, which most of your posts do, but it particularly resonated with me because I now have a little one and what you had posted was that same-sex couples should be receiving paid leave when they adopt a child. And that to me just seemed like a no-brainer. And after experiencing the lack of support for maternity leave and paternity leave, it just really hit home. But it highlighted to me the fact that so many companies, especially in the month of June, are out there touting their support for the queer community without actually making any financial commitments to their employees Mm -hmm. that sort of fall under this umbrella. So I have a very big first question that's going to (laughs) take a little bit to unpack, which is what does corporate allyship actually look like that goes beyond just, you know, rainbow-fying your logo for the month of June? Yeah, I think a lot of us are noticing that this is becoming an increasingly disingenuous exercise, right? Like rainbow capitalism is a term that we hear a lot in the queer community. And in fact, there's a lot of conversations around who you should and shouldn't buy from. 
because, you know, we can tell that there's a lot of performative allyship is what we call that when people are putting up their rainbow logo and then kind of the rest of the year, not really acting in the best interest of the community. So I think that that the rainbow logo is an indicator of companies that may be uh, interested in supporting our community, but we need to look at that through a critical lens. And when we are really thinking about corporate allyship, the way that we want to proceed with this is for folks to look at where the money goes in all of these different environments, right? So look at the book of business. So who is this company doing business with? If, for instance, the company is known to do business with a known homophobic group or folks that have questionable opinions about the way that queer people should live their lives, there may be an opportunity for the business to rethink the way that they do their business. Really, I think following the money is the most important part of this whole of this whole situation. And you and I have talked about this before. Like, where do we find that the company is actually investing their money with politics? Are they are they sending their employees to conferences in unsafe locations where there's you know potential for hate crimes? Like, what are the financial impacts and how are they actually moving forward towards listening more? to their queer employees. So there's a lot of different dimensions to this, but when it boils down to it, the financial component, like where is this company actually spending their money will help us understand whether or not they are truly an ally or just slapping a rainbow sticker over their logo on LinkedIn. Sure. And I know one of the more popular things to do at the moment at a company is to have these resource groups for queer individuals. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what to make of that on one hand, it's great that they exist. On the other hand, it also seems a bit performative in some cases. Do you have any opinions on that? Yeah, I have a lot of opinions. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> question. Uh, before, before you get started with an ERG, uh, here's the perspective that a lot of companies, I think, have with ERGs. Number one, our queer employees are maybe causing a ruckus. Maybe we're worried that they're going to leave. Maybe we're worried about the optics of however things have been proceeding in the past. And so we want to get these ERGs on board so that we can show that we are more responsive to the queer community. Cool. Okay, but there's two aspects that need to happen before you pull those ERGs in. Number one, you've got to get somebody professional to tell you how to set up an ERG because the people in your organization are likely not educated in DEI best practices. They're not human resource experts. And most people that are human resource experts in our space today are like the confluence doesn't occur between them and DEI necessarily, right? So you you need to have an expert in just, just grab some consulting time with somebody who really knows what they're talking about and help you build the infrastructure so that you know how to do this according to best practices and you're not like uh you know eating your own shoe at some point of this process so number one get an expert in number two allocate money for it because if you're saying that you want your employees to help improve the way that your company culture is moving you have to allocate funds to help them otherwise they're volunteering their time they're taking away from their day job and it makes it really difficult for them to be able to responsibly pursue these activities right so i think it's really important to think about yeah get an expert in allocate funds and then also make sure that you're not expecting everything to be happy sunshine and rainbows like i've mm-hmm. been on ergs where we we put forth open letters to leadership about things we were dissatisfied about i think a lot of people start these ergs and they think oh it's gonna be fun we're gonna have such a nice time we're gonna socialize we're gonna party that's not what an erg is an erg is there to help you or an affinity group is that to help you improve the way that queer people people of color minority groups you know oppressed peoples are reflected at your organization and you may start having some really tough conversations so if you're not prepared for that outcome it may be really difficult for you to actually be successful in your ERG. Sure. Well, that's such a good point. So you had sort of touched on this in your response. What are some red flags that you've seen of rainbow washing? 
Yeah, well, again, I think it's really important for us to think about like where that money is coming from, right? First of all, I do want to say that within the queer community, we're talking about businesses that are rainbow washing. So if the intent is to try to get revenue from the queer community without actually being an authentic supporter, uh, we're going to know, we're going to find out, we're going to tell other people, like it's going to be negative for your business. So it's better, again, just to not do anything than to do it wrong. Red flags for this would be obviously supporting politicians that act against the interests of the queer community, whether that be in the form of anti-trans bills or restrictions against which folks can get you know, married or be in a relationship or any historical precedent for that. So if you're supporting politicians that have a, either a history or a current perspective that is decidedly opposed to our community, um, it, we're going to know it's disingenuous, right? The rainbow washing is pretty right. obvious. And, and I think also even something as simple as like Glassdoor reviews or other kind of crowdsourced reputational websites like that, like I'm always going on there to find out and check and double double down and make sure that whoever I'm personally doing business with is in congruence with my personal values. So this can show up in interviewing practices. It can show up in employee reviews. It can show up in political history. It can show up in the financial landscape. One big thing is that there are a lot of companies that are looking to expand into the Middle East and do business with folks in that part of the world. And that's notorious because there's however many, 174 countries where it's illegal to be queer. So if you're expanding heavily into those regions and you're also promoting yourself as a queer advocate company, those two things are diametrically opposed. Sure. You can't possibly be promoting the welfare of queer folks while also promoting the welfare of people who want us dead. Right. So, yeah. and in speaking to you before on this issue, you had mentioned a few really strong examples of, I suppose, areas that hit closer to home mm-hmm. in the office of rainbow washing. Are you comfortable sharing those? Yeah. So I've worked for a couple of companies where, okay, now this is from a coworker who had worked somewhere else before, and they Uh were expressing their gratitude for being at a place that didn't rainbow wash, that actually cared about our community, right? Uh But this person mentions that they had been instructed to take down their pride flag or that maybe they had moved their office from a certain room to another room to help cater to organizations that they would be on Zoom calls with that would be offended by pride decorations, right? Like they would would be uh, offended by the appearance of that. And so in the interest of the company, they asked those people essentially to switch into a different room or to remove their decorations. And I think that that's just, that's appalling because it's appalling on so many levels. Again, make a policy that you can't have any decoration in your background at all, and then nobody will be offended. But if you say it's okay for us to have something that showcases our identity, and then we have to remove it when certain clients come around, we know that you don't really mean business in this way. It's just performative. Yeah. And then also when it comes to, to interviewing practices, and I've actually discussed this really in depth on LinkedIn, uh, but I had, a, I had a situation where I was interviewing a potential employee uh, who expressed blatantly homophobic views during the interview towards me, the manager, who is queer. <laughs> and, and after the interview, you know, d- debriefing with these folks that were on the team, the hiring committee, they all just said, well, he seems like a strong candidate. And, and, and when I took my question to HR about like, like, how can I conceivably say this person's not a good fit for our company? They accused me of, of discriminating against someone for their religious beliefs. So when the rubber hits the road, like, yes, you can put rainbows on everything. But when the rubber hits the road, are you standing up as a company and saying, we don't hire people who, who express blatantly homophobic views? And they're immediately, you know, and this goes homophobic, racist, you know, 
uh, misogynist, anything like that. Are, are, if those viewpoints show up in an interview, are we immediately cutting those people out of the stream? You know, all the way to like just making sure that people feel comfortable expressing themselves in, in the workplace inappropriate. And, and, and this ties back into like even, you know, kind of colonialist concepts of, of professionalism and what does it mean to be a person in the workplace? And I think our generation and the people that are following behind us are questioning that a lot more now. And companies that are not authentic are going to have consequences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially in what they're calling a war for talent, you really do have to put your money where your mouth is and your policies behind what you believe. Otherwise you're losing these incredible candidates that, you know, that are checking up on you. Yeah. And, and, and the benefits that we might think of. So, so if you're a queer person who's looking to help like expand the benefits that your company is offering, or you're trying to think about how you might want to entice queer people to either stay at or, or be particularly invested in your company, one of the most common benefits that we're seeing emerge in this space now is you know around reproductive health. When I first started this other company that I went to, I wondered why IVF was covered under our benefits and why they were so like insistent upon pushing it. Like, look at this, this, this thing that we've done to help support our, our organization. And I didn't read the subtext and understand that's the only way that a lot of queer people can access reproductive care or like, you know, adoption, like to your point, adoption leave, but also benefits are emerging in this space to help support intentional reproductive and family building for queer people. And so that's an emerging uh, technology or an emerging benefit that I think is going to again, separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes to really, really do you mean it towards our community. Right. So my next question then is, is it up to the employees to bring up the lack of queer support at their companies, or is it entirely the company's responsibility to recognize their shortcomings, or is it sort of a collaboration between the two? Yeah. Well, my my gut instinct always wants me to say that the company is ultimately responsible for this, but in the real world, we are all working together, right? Because there are a lot of people who simply don't understand or haven't taken the time to be fully educated uh, you know, uh, about the needs of many marginalized communities, whether that's right. queer folks, disabled folks, people of color, women, right? Like, or and gender non-conforming people, right? There's all, there's all these, these subgroups that frankly, as people in business, we haven't been pressed to really pay attention to these folks' needs because the, all those people have kind of conformed themselves into the corporate box, right? And now we're saying, you know, we have these separate needs. And what it really is incumbent upon the company to do is, is to establish a safe place for that dialogue to occur and right. also to understand and to not tone police their employees if they get upset. Because these are foundational components of our identity that are under attack every day. And it's every day that you go out into the world, you know, people of color can't change their skin color. They look that way and the microaggressions are coming their way, right? People right. who are openly gay, it's in the workplace, it's a lot of the same like microaggressions, right? So there's an emotional component of this that people who are not a part of the community really need to understand that yes, there may be some anger, there may be from some frustration, and if we can all work together to find a good solution and take these issues really seriously, because it is, this is literally life and death for a lot of people, right? right. Uh, trans people, what is it like 80% have attempted uh, suicide and 41% of trans adults are currently suicidal. So some I have to check my statistics on that, but it's a lot. So, right. so when we think about the vulnerability of these populations, we need to take it seriously. We need to establish the dialogue. And when your ERG or when your queer employees tell you something, you really need to believe them because most people aren't just complaining for sport. We're there sure. because we, we're invested in the company and we wouldn't bring these issues to light if we didn't care about helping everybody to improve and to help the team environment evolve in a way that's really helpful for all team members on board. Right. 
So then what does allyship look like from a colleague? If we're taking it from the company level down to the people that you work with day to day, let's say I want to be able to support my queer colleagues, but I'm just not sure how, what would that look like for someone like me? Yeah, uh, first of all, find the reliable resources that can teach you about the way in which queer people interact with the world without having to ask your queer colleague. So right. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted from people coming to me and telling me all of like trauma dumping all of their information about queer people in their own lives upon me, right? Or asking me really fundamental and frankly offensive questions or overly sexualizing the way that we live our lives, right? So the best way to be an ally to start is to go to the, the Human Rights Council or to go to any number of the reliable, the, the LGBTQ chamber of commerce right like check out reliable resources not like not just uh, random google search but like find find right. reliable influencers on linkedin you know people like madison butler who are out there giving really great information about how to interact with your queer colleagues and don't put it on us to educate you about the ways in which you can interact with us i, I maybe ask for recommendations about where we think you could go find more information and number two is it, it is incumbent upon the, the person in the privileged class of the interaction to make an effort to support the the un, like the underprivileged person. Sure. Right? Um, so if you notice somebody saying something that seems offensive in a meeting, you don't have to wait for the queer person to call it out. You can just say, hey, you know, what did you mean by that? Or or can you tell me more about what do you what do you have behind that? that statement or question because maybe the person didn't mean anything offensive but it could be a microaggression towards your queer person and 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 we're not going to cover all of those here today right so go out there research understand what a microaggression is and develop some empathy based on that knowledge that you gain but but it's in, it's incumbent upon you know white professionals to work in the interest of people of color it's incumbent upon heterosexual co-workers to understand the needs and to try to advocate for those people within the queer community. And so understanding that power dynamic is really important and don't be afraid to uh, stand up for what you believe in. Yeah, I think that's probably the hardest one of everything. You know, you can educate yourself up the wazoo, but if you're not gonna speak up when something actually does happen, what good is it? You yeah, know? And you know, I saw this I saw this magazine article. And again, all of these things are things that I've talked about on LinkedIn and fully indicted these people in my own in my own professional sphere. So I'm happy to talk about it here. But I saw an article at a, in a big quarterly magazine that was like the women's issue. And it was a man confessing all the ways that he had mistreated women in the boardroom in the past. And I like essentially begging the industry's forgiveness. Like, don't do that. Don't do that. If you, if you feel like you have ways to improve, don't rely on the person that you're oppressing to uh, provide you comfort. This is like, let's just yeah. talk about the fact that this is really uncomfortable work but it's work that's worth doing because you're supporting your fellow human being and you are yourself becoming more of a, a a meaningful contributor both to your society and to your workplace if you understand more perspectives it helps you become a better voter it helps you become a better parent it helps you just to be a better member of society if you understand right. where different types of people are coming from and so that this work I, I just don't want anybody to think that it's like again rainbow sparkles cookies like pride pride yes it's wonderful and remember that pride started with a series of riots not just one like in, in, over a number of years because people were facing unfair legal consequences like this is serious yeah. stuff it's uncomfortable and yes you're going to feel like upset about what's going on and it's work that's worth doing so just keep that in mind yeah and i think something else you pointed out there is not centering yourself in these mm -hmm. conversations i think that happens a lot no matter what we're talking about if it's queer rights, if it's, you know, Black Lives Matter, there is a tendency to, to center 
yourself in the conversation when you shouldn't. So I like that you pointed that out. One thing to remember, like when you're trying to decenter yourself in these conversations is that if you're having a debrief after some kind of training session, after some kind of event, like, hey, I'd like to talk about the way that that went with this interaction and how harmful it was, or maybe how well we did, uh, debrief with someone who's like you. Like, don't go to the queer person. If you're a heterosexual person, don't go to the queer person and like debrief with them because that can be really painful. If you're doing a debrief on some kind of experience that you've had that was really intense, it's best to kind of like to like so that that trust can be established. And I didn't just come up with that. I actually went through an, a health equity seminar where we where we kind of paired up like this. And I will tell you that it was so refreshing because I could be honest about these like underlying biases and I knew I wasn't harming the person sitting across from me, right? right. Because I could say, God, I have this bias that I didn't even know about. And, and the last thing, you know, in, in our context, it was race. And the last thing I would want to do is to admit that to somebody who's sitting across from me who was part of that sensitive population, right? Or like that, that oppressed population. Right. But being able to be honest about like, you know, how I was raised and how, the difficulties that I've had with adopting some of these mindsets, um, you know, just getting radically honest with yourself about that. And when you're debriefing about sensitive stuff, sticking to your own group of people can really be a powerful exercise. I had never thought about that, but that is Mm -hmm. such a good point. Mm -hmm. A lot of these conversations are just, you know, we're in the workplace and the last thing we want to do is feel attacked or feel as though it's unsafe. And, you know, a lot of people can relate to that. So how do we think about just making people in general feel comfortable that when they come to work, their work is the thing that's being focused on and their identity is being respected, but they're not afraid, you know, I've been afraid to wake up and go to work in the morning. I think a lot of us have. So how do we promote a work culture where where we're able to be friends and like support each other and, you know, move the needle forward while still respecting everybody's identity? Perfect. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, I would like to talk about some of your recent accomplishments because there are quite a few and some future endeavors that you've got in your back pocket. So could you tell me about a few of those? Yes, yes. Well, let's start. As you mentioned at the beginning, I am a world record holding strong woman and the national contest. Uh, I will be competing in the U.S. National Strongman Competition on June 25th, which is also the day that my book, my very first book comes out. It's called uh, Productive Pain. You can get it on pre-order at warmaidenfitness.com. And it's a book about my journey to sobriety through the Strongman program of training. A little bit of an autobiography, a little bit of spicy stuff about my childhood in there. It's a lot of fun to read. Very approachable, short essays. I think it's designed for everybody to be able to dig in. So that's one part of what's going on. And the second is that we are so excited to be bringing the proposal management community a brand new online platform where we can share ideas, get educational content, and also just really dig into the modern aspects of proposal management. And we're going to call proposal industry experts. So pie. Nice. <laughs> and, and we've already established our, our board, which is the Baker's Dozen, um, which to the points of what we're talking about here, intentionally inclusive, bringing queer perspectives, people of color perspective, women's perspectives, different genders, right? Different nationalities. Like we're really focused on making an inclusive space. So Pi will be launching on July 25th. Okay. Um, and we'll be having some live, a live launch for that. So stay tuned because we don't have the platform fully refined, but if anybody wants to follow me on LinkedIn, we can get that information in your hands. Perfect. And I will include links to everything that you just mentioned, including your LinkedIn profile. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a big topic. It's a heavy topic, but I'm so grateful that you are willing to to do this with me. 
Absolutely. And just, you know, just keep in mind, I'm one person in the queer community. We're not a monolith. Everybody's different. So don't be, don't hesitate. Don't be shy. Like if anybody wants to reach out to me with questions, comments, words of wisdom about their experience in the queer community or with the queer community, I'm happy to field those inquiries. So it's been really great to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Cheers. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. A big thank you again to Catherine for joining me for this conversation. Like I mentioned, it was a big topic, it was a heavy topic, but I do feel like at least I came out of it understanding a lot more about the queer community, and I hope you did as well. As always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.